Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Babel UK's very own Newcastle United podcast, Tyne Warp. I'm your host, Harry Roy, and I'm joined by my fellow NUFC Vavil office writers, Dan Wright and Alex Wood. The stars have finally aligned. The trio are back. But before we get on to the weekend's disappointing 1-1 draw away at Watford, we've had a massive day on the takeover front. The anti-competition preliminary hearing took place today to see if the case itself against the Premier League will go ahead alongside the arbitration, that is to argue that PIF, the Saudi sovereign wealth fund who are behind the takeover bid 18 months ago, are a separate legal entity from the Saudi state. I'll not bore you with all the intricacies of today because I'm being honest, these QCs are just so intelligent that only I was only really able to pick up little bits of what they said. But it was a very interesting hearing and of course fans were able to watch the, the live stream itself which Lord Justice, the, the judge, coordinating the whole thing said that thousands of fans were tuned in at one point which just shows how huge this football club really is so lads what did we make of today because there was certainly a lot of interesting talking points but the biggest one I would say is that we've got an official date for arbitration it was supposed to happen uh, last July we were told early 2022 we've got a concrete date it's the 3rd of January and the arbitration itself is set to last just a little over a week so if all goes well and all goes ahead we should have new owners, hypothetically, by January, and these might be able to just have an impact in the transfer window in the final few weeks too. So it potentially could be exciting times, lads. I um, like you said, I, none of us are really going to understand to the full extent that these 
uh, blokes have paid thousands of pounds to represent Newcastle in the Premier League are. But it, it seems from what I've seen of it and the reaction I've seen that it was quite a positive day for Newcastle. Obviously, we need this is just the start. This isn't even the competition, the cat case. This is just getting the cat case heard or getting it thrown out. So we're at very early stages. Arbitration seems like the main one. It's just whether the Saudis hang around. That's my only my only concern. Yeah, um, I, I completely echo what Dan's just said. Um, there's been no talk of whether they're getting the Saudis are getting cold feet or um, whether they're still in in for it. It sounded like with what um, the gentleman that was representing Newcastle today, his name has escaped me. Um, like what he said is that the takeover, if it was to go through and the cat case was to be heard and arbitration was to push through in Newcastle's favour, that we would have new owners, as you said in the new intro, Harry. Um, but all I can say is um, what I personally feel, which is that Cans is happening, boys. <laughs> <laughs> you might have jumped the gun a little bit too early on there, but yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hard not to get excited because the reality that we've got at the minute is just so grim. Mm. But NUFC360 on Twitter have niced me here because they've done a lovely summary of both sides of the argument. So the Premier League was the small... I only catch the, the, the last bit of that. Um, they were obviously wanting this cat case thrown out before it starts. They feel it was too similar to the arbitration case that we're going to have in January. Uh, part of their, I think it was their submission, I think they call it in legal terms, is they still say that the Premier League are still waiting on evidence for how PIF and Saudi Arabia are separate entities. That, once again, beds into arbitration, which is why they want this cat case thrown out. Um, they've also said that allegedly that Saudi Arabia do not want to undertake the owners and directors test. Now, that's the state of Saudi Arabia. Uh, we probably understand that they do not want to take that on a multitude of reasons uh, and there was evidence given in private as well which uh, a couple of parts in the stream today they, they turned it off and done some of the deliberation in private which beds into the arbitration. Uh, Newcastle's uh, side of the argument today was that they feel that the Premier League were influenced by being sports uh, they also feel they were influenced by other Premier League clubs, which could be alluding to the Big Six and the you know, European Super League fiasco we had. Uh, and another one, which I didn't catch myself, but a lot of people seem to think this was said. Allegedly, the Premier League threatened to ban Newcastle United from the competition itself. Uh, a, a massive claim, and I'm surprised that's not you know front-page material if that is true. Uh, they want damages claim. I think I heard a, a fee around £10 million. They feel that... Obviously, the club isn't as worth as much as what it was 18 months ago. We've had the pandemic. Um, they want the whole hearing, cat and arbitration held in public. My understanding is that arbitration is a private affair, so we'll have to wait and see on that. But it was a really, really interesting day, I thought. It went on for, I think, a little over six hours, and it was a... Yeah, it was it was a you know Newcastle United fans have had to become legal and human rights and piracy experts over the last uh, few years. So it was a it was an all round interesting day. But I don't think we really need to dwell on the takeover too much. If there's anything else, anything else that the, you boys want to add, then feel free to. But I feel we've uh, we've covered it. Uh, yeah, we? just the only thing wait. that I found interesting is the, there was a time frame put on arbitration that it's not going to drag on. Apparently, yeah. that is for me that's brilliant news. One way the other because we get to, we get to find out obviously we've got a date we supposedly had a date last time and they were there for about an hour and then they said it was going to be 2022 so <laughs> <laughs> hopefully that doesn't happen again 
and we get an answer within a week, and that is that would be brilliant. Well, yeah, it ties Obviously, in. Obviously, there's well, one way we want it to go. <laughs> well, yeah, of course we want it to go in our favour, but I think they said it was the Mike Lewis, the QC, who was representing the Premier League, said a little over a week, and they were very much hinting at a, a quick resolution to this. I don't know whether that would be the case if they were to lose the arbitration. Of course, they will. They, you know, they can appeal. They did say that the takeover would be allowed to pass if the arbitration does fall in Newcastle's favour, which works well for us because obviously if we you know if the, you think the arbitration is to start on the 3rd of January the windows open till the mm-hmm. 31st say by the 10th it goes in our favor then you've got to do the transfer of funds or as a director's test so realistically you probably think Newcastle under new owners would have around a week uh, to sign some players and, and get a new manager which I think would be the move but I do certainly think it will be tight this season uh, maybe it will be a stretch to bolster the squad massively in January but it would certainly help in our survival bid which is not looking great after these no. opening six games is it it's, a, it's another another game without a win another decent performance it's probably the third game in a row where Newcastle have played pretty well but have failed to win playing a newly promoted side in Watford how the hell they've not won that game I'll never know they should have buried them in the first half countless opportunities and once again just shows how much we miss Callum Wilson and why the club needed to sign a backup striker in the summer, but they didn't do that. So, Alex, I'm going to come to you on this one. Thoughts on the game? And some Watford fans seem to think it was a fair result. I think they'll see that through rules-tinted glasses, but I'm under the illusion that Newcastle should have had that one, probably won by the 40th minute. I completely agree. Um, Yeah, that should have been the first three points of the season. There's no question about it. Um, With the amount of chances that we created... Um, we suddenly made Ben Foster look like a top ten goalkeeper. I don't, I don't really understand how, how that really happened. Um, and obviously the the last minute miss from Jacob Murphy, where he's one on one, which just sums up Newcastle's entire season. I think the the backup striker situation is something that we can discuss till we're blue in the face. We've got the squad we have, um, and unfortunately, it doesn't look like aside from two players who obviously we're going to discuss. It doesn't look like it's an actually very good one. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. And for me, there's I'm a bit conflicted on how I'm looking at it. Do I look at it from the positive side that we created lots of chances? And that'd be a massive issue for us. So the fact that we're even creating these chances is a big improvement. And it arguably was. The, it's certainly the game that we've controlled the most this season. And that has to be a positive. But then you kind of think we've not beaten Watford, a Watford side that... I thought actually were pretty poor for the most part and didn't look Premier League quality to me. If we can't beat them and we can't beat a lead side that have only got one fit defender, then I'm really struggling to see who we are actually going to win against. And we need to start winning games soon because it's all right playing a bit better, but we, the results, it's a result business as we're often told. And we, I think with Wolves coming up next, it's a huge opportunity. And it's a must-win going into the Arsenal break. Huge. I think is it a results business? Sorry, Harry. Is it a results business, though, Dan? Like, is it, it should be because uh, well, uh, this is the this is the case that Newcastle fans have been saying not only on social media but all over the all over the country. And uh, I I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on it as well. Is it actually a results business when it comes to Newcastle? Because the statistics in what Steve Bruce has done are obviously no wins this season. Um, and I think it's something baffling, like three wins in 17. Um, like that is sackable for any other manager, but yet we have Steve Bruce. So is it 
is it a results business with Steve Bruce or is it just a business of keeping us in the Premier League? I think it's a mixture Listen, of both. Yeah. I think you'd probably yeah. say the same as me, Dan. And look, Wait. Bruce has been in the job for a couple of seasons. He's not got Newcastle relegated. He's got them somewhat to mid-table finishers and they don't look anything past that. And performances and playing well is just a bonus. Look, Ashley and I think even Newcastle fans this season would take us parking the bus every single game, having one shot on target and winning games 1-0, as opposed to playing fancy football and losing every game 4-3. It is a results business. He needs to win games, and ultimately, Bruce has always wanted to be judged on results, yet he has not been able to serve Newcastle a win all season against pretty favourable opposition as well. I think he's played four or five even of the bottom ten this season and not won against any of them. It's it's massively worrying. And especially coming up against our like our, our next run of games, Wolves away will be a tough it is a difficult game, but it's a one we should look to win against. Then you're moving into Spurs at home, which arguably I feel is an easier game than Wolves for many reasons. Palace away, I, th- I think Palace looked very good, have strengthened well this season, got a new manager. Then you're moving into the likes of Chelsea, Brighton, Brentford, Arsenal, Norwich, Burnley. So there's games there we can win, but my only concern is when we get to Christmas and we come to that difficult part of the season where I feel we're playing, I think we're playing all of the top six around about in the space of a month. Mm. Are Newcastle going to be cut adrift when they can make a decision now and bring in a new manager and it's not too late because somehow, once again, they're not in the bottom three. But they're not in the bottom three by the skin of their teeth. Yeah, it's absolutely mental that we're not in the bottom three, considering how poor we've been for most season and the fact we haven't won a single game of football. It just goes to show the quality in the Premier League is at an all-time low and we will probably benefit from that and I think we will just about stay up. So, we're not winning games. We can't see games out. We can't score goals without Wilson. And I, I just can't trust Newcastle in games. They can't win a game 1-0 anymore. They have to score two or three to win a game. 14 goals conceded this season, a record that's only bested by Norwich, who, dare I say, are probably already relegated by now. They're, they're an abysmal side. Uh, that's it's They're the, the bottom of this division for a reason. I don't think Newcastle are going to be any higher than them this season, unfortunately. But the poor defending, week in, week out, is costing us games. Regardless of the finishing uh, against Watford, they should have won the game. They shouldn't have conceded a goal. It was a sloppy want to concede. Willock, very, very poor from the corner. Just letting Ismail Assar, their best player, arguably their only player, ghost in at the back post and equalise. And if it wasn't for VAR, we would have lost that game, which is an incredible thought because I feel Watford fans will have left the victory draw on Saturday going, well, that's a decent point, we'll take that. They could have won that game and if it wasn't for VAR, they would have. And How many times this season... Are we going to be having the same conversation here of we're playing well, but the defence is just incapable of keeping a clean sheet? Yeah, the back four or five, or however many people are playing there, just seems to be making mistake after mistake, which never used to be the case. I don't know why there's this sloppiness that's found its way in, but the goal at Watford was just so avoidable. It's a simple flick on, not tracked, unmarked, free header, there's not a man on the back post either. What's that about? It's just so, so avoidable. It's really, really frustrating because you've played well and then you're 1-0 up. You can push for a second on. We just give them a goal. It was an absolute gift and it shouldn't be happening at Premier League level. No, I completely agree. Um, I will counter one of your points, um, Dan. The reason there wasn't a man at the back post for Newcastle United um, is because roughly uh, uh, over 50% of 
Um, Watford's corners this season have gone towards the front post. So when you're in training and when you're marking and doing everything like that, you have a man on the front post instead as there. That's the more favourable place that it's going to be. Um, but no, apart from that, I, I completely agree with you. Um, the five at the back that Newcastle are currently operating, it's meant to give us more solidity and um, more width when we counter. Um, that wasn't even present on Sunday. Um, and I, I really don't understand it. Like, yeah. Um, the the three that played there at the weekend, they weren't Premier League quality defenders. I think one positive from the weekend, I would say, is Sean Longstaff. He's got a good goal, could have had a few more in that game. And he's really coming to his own, I feel, in the last few games. And it, it's great to see because I am, I'll put my hands up, I wrote him off at the, at the start of the season, would happily have drove him to Everton for 10 million quid. Uh, he's he's had a really good start of the season, I feel, since he's come back into the side. I think Shelby's injuries there is the main one with that. But how important is that to finally have him back in some sort of form and bring some confidence back into his game? Because I feel we've not seen this long stuff. We all know there's a player in there since Rafa was here in 2018, 2019. No, it's massive. And he, he seems to be improving game on game as well. His confidence seems to be going through the roof. And the amount of times he, he must have shot more than anyone else in the Premier League like from distance. And they're always terrible. It was so nice to see him get one perfect and to score score his first goal of the season so yeah that would that'll be huge for him as well and we just want to see the same level of performance from him on a consistent basis because it's it's so clear that there is a footballer in there we saw that when he first came into the side and if we can see that from him again then he'll be a very valuable asset to us this season yeah the the main problem with Sean Longstaff that you would you would have said when you wrote him off at the beginning of the season Harry I remember the pod was inconsistency and the the fact that the bloke can't pass past 15 yards and somehow he <laughs> so, 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 they're your words bro they're your words did I went I, back I and listened that? to it so Probably that I can make this show like, so that we can have this wrong stuff um, podcast and um, like the fact of it is that he's he has he's settled down as Dan said he's settled down he started finding his feet finding his form and look if we can get the player that Manchester United want 30 million for for the rest of the season then sign me up for that that's absolutely fine it doesn't matter which long staff brother plays as long as one of them plays well I also think that him and Willock seem to work well together which is a bit yeah. surprising because you think they're both quite attacking minded but with Isaac Hayden sort of sitting in behind I think that is a three that can work and I think we saw go to a back four for the majority of the Watford game and I think we created more chances I don't think that is a coincidence and I think that midfield three will be very important yeah, I was just about to touch on the, the back four and back five debate, really. I think the performances, I know we're not winning games, but the performances have definitely been a lot better with the back mm-hmm. four. So moving into this game at the weekend, uh, Molyneux against Wolves, a side who have, I don't know whether they still play back five. I know they used to, I know they used to under Nuno. Alex, you're the stat man, you might know this one. Uh, <laughs> would you would you operate with a back five against Wolves? Because, you know, that's something they are, you know, they they use quite a lot themselves. Or would you... Stick with that. It seems to be like a narrow four four two with the split strikers. I think that's what we first saw when Graham Jones came in. Because I think that's that's worked well. Football's a bit is a bit better. We're still poor defensively, but my argument is that we're bad defensively with a back five and we're bad defensively with a back four. So we may as well just go with a four and have a bit more of an attacking presence. Yes, I completely agree with you. Um, the the stats do actually back it up as well. 
Um, the fact that Newcastle, when they play with the back four under Steve Bruce and Graham Jones, have 1.2 points per game more than they do um, with a back five. But obviously, that is, um, that's over a shorter time period because we play with the back five quite a lot. Um, but it's the chance creation that is um, even more. There is um, uh, a 0. 0.8 XG. I know XG is kind of the the taboo stat to, to kind of really quote with everybody, but there is a 0. 0.8 XG increase when Newcastle play a back four, then a back five. And that is going to be really important when you face up against Jose Sarr and Wolves, who currently this season has the second most saves in the other four teams, which is the new Alex for stats, which is which is the team, it which is, is the teams class. outside the top six, um, and then um, he's actually conceded the second least amount um, of goals against that, which is five, um, which means that he has a um, a save per game, like a goal against of one point seven, which obviously is really impressive. So if you're going to create ma- masses amount of chances, you may as well go for the back four, especially against this Wolves goalkeeper who knows how to save balls. So the more shots you have against him, the more chances you have of scoring. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as anything. And he is really settled into this side as Jose Sar. He's been incredible so far this season. Thanks for that, Alex. Yeah, they do play with a back five, which uh, would kind of incline me to go on, uh, towards the back four. But Wolves this season, they've had a... They've had a an all, have they had an all right start? Probably for their standards, they've had a poor start this season. 14th place in the division, three points above us. Uh, six points on the board, but what I have, the, the most alarming stat to me is it's only Norwich who've scored less than them. They've only scored three mm. goals this season. Uh, Raul Jimenez, I think everyone's sick. We all hope he, he gets back into the form we saw before he had that horrific injury. Good win at the weekend against Southampton away from home. That might be a bit of a, a turn of the of the page for them. But their last game at Molyneux, besides the, the cup defeat to Spurs, was a really disappointing 2-0 defeat to Brentford, who I must say, have took the league by storm so far, but I certainly don't think they're going to be top ten. They're going to be they're going to be near the bottom half, and they went to to Molyneux and played them off the park with ten men. And the interesting thing is, which I'm just looking at their formation they played. They also played with a back five that game. So does that kind of swing the influence towards the back five, or would we still stick with the four? And going back onto my original point, do we feel this is the game that Bruce needs to win? and a legitimate opportunity for Newcastle to, to get three points on the board. Yes, um, it is a legitimate chance for Newcastle to get points on the board because Wolves are um, sloppy defensively, although they've only conceded the five goals. But their shot, their goal scored this season actually is a really misleading statistic because they have the third amount most shots taken this season in the Premier League, only behind Manchester City and Liverpool. So they are actually really, really creating a lot of chances. So if you if you look at that, yes, you'd probably think going a back, a back five to try and have that defensive solidity and going formation match a, matchy match for them two would probably be a correct decision. But I still think the back four is probably the best idea to create most chances because it seems to get the most out of Alan St. Maximan as well. Yeah, and whilst we're on the topic of St. Maximan, he's you know he's had a really good start of the season. Done a piece in the Chronicle this week about um, St. Maximan and. Five French players you could replace in the national team. You can check that out on my Twitter page if you want to. But uh, I did see an interesting. Uh, it was in the Daily Express. The the story came today, and it's Liverpool and Chelsea are keeping tabs on Alan St. Maximan. And I've seen a fee uh, that has been mooted around of thirty million pounds for St. Maximan. What? Thirty. Thirty million pounds. Th- three zero. Three zero. Not three hundred. Thirty million pounds. 
Uh, I, 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 this must be relegation if we are to go down thirty million. Uh, an abs- ridiculous fee. Uh, yeah, I mean, when we got relegated last time, we have still got thirty million from Musa Sissoko. And that was five years ago. <laughs> and that was five years ago. Like, I mean, come on now, don't don't be daft. I mean, it's, it's hardly surprising to see the team sniffing round him. He's, he seems to have added more end product and he's more decisive in his decision making. All other than that one chance at Vicarage Road on Saturday, but it's yeah, it's not surprising. I think. He probably will end up going soon, but he certainly should be for more than thirty million pounds. Especially when you when you look at the fact he's still got five years left on his deal. He signed a six year mm. deal last season. Um, like God knows how much money he's on, but it, it's going to be one of the highest wages of the club. So the the team that's buying him at least has to buy out that contract at least. So then you still, if you're talking seventy grand a week, which possibly could be there for Alan St Maximin, uh, whichever fee it is, you're looking at. Fit, Fifty million pounds just to buy out the contract, and then obviously, how much is it worth? Yeah, like anything below eighty million at, the, at this present moment, and uh, and you're laughing. But the conversation I did want to have because um, I was going to have it last week, um, but obviously I, I unfortunately missed the podcast <laughs> due to the worst luck alive. Um, a lot of people said, or have been saying this season, and comparing Alan St. Maximan to Sadio Mane when he was at Southampton. Now, obviously, Sadio Mane is at Liverpool and has kind of become a second, uh, a second bit player because Jot has arrived, or whether uh, whatever his situation is over there. Do you, I wondered what your guys' opinion was on it? Do you think that um, St. Maximan is Sadio Mane level and can make that jump? Um, I'm not 100%. I mean, the stats from the two times suggest that Sadio Mane, you know, he's outscoring St. Maximin. He's had more end product back then. But I I think in terms of pure enjoy, enjoyment and excitement, then you can't get much better than St. Maximin. I mean, can Sadio Mane get to Alan St. Maximin's levels? It's a, it's a good discussion about this, but people do forget that Mane was also in a very good Southampton side. They were... Yeah, true. They got top six, top seven, I think three seasons in a row. He was in a good team. I think I look back at the squad when you you wanted to mention this a couple of weeks ago. And I think they had like Schneiderlin. They had a good squad. Van Dijk was in their team. Toby Alderweireld was in their team. So they had a good squad. And it's certainly better than the, the the squad that Newcastle got them in. And he was managed by Pochettino. Yeah, Steve Bruce and Pochettino are light years apart in my eyes. I think in everybody eyes, everybody else's eyes as well. So yeah. Another interesting one. Uh, I know people, have, you know, the the Mane comparison. Uh, Jaden Sancho, at the minute, not having a great start to his Man United career, and I watched them play against Romania for England. Went went to the Riverside for that game. I wasn't impressed by him at all. I know his Bundesliga numbers were very very good at Dortmund, and of course he's a as a, a magnificent talent. But I just don't think that Saint Maximan gets the credit he deserves because he plays for Newcastle. I think Saint Maximan is. On par, if not better, than Jaden Sancho. Bit of an outlandish claim, but I, I, I mean, he's cer- he certainly done more in the in the Premier League to back that case up, hasn't he? Than Jaden yeah, Sancho absolutely. has. I mean, you talk about um, because he plays for Newcastle. Then any player who, who's highly rated and plays for Manchester United are automatically seen as incredible or whatever. Yeah. But so the the bias towards you, Manchester United, is probably a big reason why, in many people's eyes, there is a gulf. But in reality. St. Maximin is certainly playing better than him. Like, there's no no one's going to. I don't think there's even the most biased Manchester United fan is going to argue against that. Well, he's a better dribbler. He's he's arguably faster than him. I think the only thing that Sancho's probably got on is finishing. And even then, I think St. Maximin's finishing is very good and is underrated because people love to 
scream about this whole end product thing because his yeah. numbers don't look great on statistics. But if you watch Newcastle week in, week out like we do, we see the influence that this kid has on this team. And he ain't a striker. He ain't playing in his natural position. Imagine what a Guardiola or a Klopp or a, a master tactician like Tuchel would do with a player like him. He, he, the sky's the limit for the lad. And uh, there's discussion as well about the French squad. And I was doing that piece and I couldn't believe some of the players that were getting picked ahead of him. Like the likes of Thomas Lamar, who was signed by Atletico Madrid I think it was like four years ago for a fee of £70 million. He scored like three goals in four or five seasons and continues to be picked by Didier Deschamps. How is this lad not getting a chance? And is it down to that he can't be trusted because he's, a, he's he's flair, he's got talent and he's a bit different and they feel they've already got them sort of players? Why do you think that is? Or is it genuinely because he doesn't play for Man United? Look, I get the point of he can't be trusted because at times, let's be honest, we all love him. He can be a bit of a liability, can't he? Oh, yeah, he? but the, game, the goal against West Ham, we, we can yeah, see it was a, down to him. But in my opinion, since he's been at Newcastle, there's been genuine signs of real, true leadership from him. He's dragged us single-handedly through games, which I don't think a lot of players can do at any level. Like Put one of those players that you mentioned in a Newcastle team, I can't see them having anywhere near the same impact. And it, actually, if... So Maxman played for a team where he could he could actually be a bit more of a luxury player, so to speak. He would do numbers. He would do serious numbers if he was just given the room to just attack. He doesn't have to pick the ball up deep and drag us forward. Just attack. He would be incredible. The the main point why Didier Deschamps decides to pick certain players and uh, and do that is um, we we sometimes criticise Gal Southgate for this. Um, but Deschamps is even more in this level of thing. Deschamps is a real big person who doesn't believe in disrupting the boat. He doesn't like introducing brand new players into the ethos that France have because he believes it's already a winning one. So why would you replace anything that you are already the best team in the world for? He doesn't like kind of putting in and seeing brand new players at, at, there and doing that. That's the reason why Thomas Lamar gets picked. He knows, Didier Deschamps knows the player that Thomas Lamar is. He knows what he's getting every single time he picks him. He knows the man he's getting every single time he picks him. And he knows that Thomas Lamar is really well liked by other people. So that is that is why um, Didier Deschamps is Gareth Southgate 2.0. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. But Moussa Diaby from Bayer Leverkusen has just been called up to the squad uh, has done some decent numbers in the Bundesliga but it's it's the Bundesliga uh, no offence to the league but the Premier League is a much more difficult much more demanding much more physical league than the Premier League look at Sancho he's playing one of the best sides in the division and he's really struggled in his opening six games and St Maximan has been a part of the France youth setup from under 17 all the way up to under 21 level uh, it's surely it's only a matter of time before he gets called up and I do think it'll it'll probably take a few injuries I think it's like Villa fans with Grealish last season how everyone was just wanting him to get picked and for some reason Southgate wouldn't pick him and a few injuries forced his hand I do think that'll be the case for St Maximan but the worry is if he can't get in the France squad at Newcastle and the World Cup is going to be November December time next year do you think he's going to want to force a move even more next year regardless of a takeover or not if he's not part of that French national team equation. Yeah, I think he's clearly a lad with lots of ambition, isn't he? And I'm not even sure, 
like obviously he would love to play for France, but he needs to be playing in European football, a player of his yeah, caliber. Absolutely. So, I I think he probably will push for a move. I'm not sure how much of it he's likely to have completely rocked the boat. We we yet to see, but I think it's clear that he he will probably, as much as he loves, seems to love the place. He he would push for a move. I'm absolutely sure of it. It depends if we get relegated. Yeah. I don't even think it does. To be even, honest, I even think, with the takeover, oh, I think we'd struggle to keep him. I think really? if the takeover happens, Absolutely. that changes it completely. I if think, we get yeah. an ambitious takeover, I think, and they tell him, we're building this team around you, which, I mean, let's be honest, we would. He's yeah, that good. Yeah. I think he'd love that. I think all. I think he genuinely would love to stay at Newcastle United, an ambitious Newcastle United, yeah. I should say, because well, he clearly loves the place. He gets on with the fans, and I think he'd love nothing more. But if that doesn't happen, he, he's... He's human, and he's going to put his own ambitions above Newcastle United as he as he should. Of course, you know he's not a fan of the club. That that's one thing. This is a mm. job for them. It's yeah, you know totally. he's naturally going to want to chase Champions League football. He's going to want to chase European football. He's going to want to chase more money. It's only natural, and we've just got to hope for our case uh, that we can, you know, get this takeover over the line eventually, and and look on the to a positive future for the club, but. Another thing about St. Maxman is he's he said in interviews before he loves Steve Bruce because he gives him the freedom to show what he can do. It's a, it's, a, it's a, the perfect shop window for him, which is terrible to say, really. But I don't think with another manager he would be able just to do what he wants like he does here. Because imagine what Guardiola would do with him. He'd clip his wings straight away. Arguably, he'd make him a better footballer over time, but he's not going to get the freedom that he gets at Newcastle than he would anywhere else. He's he's a, he's an absolute superstar. He's just a legend. Like see his social media posts, man. His Twitter is if you don't have Twitter, get it for Alan St. Maximan because we don't know whether it's <laughs> him. I, I'm still don't think it's him. By the way, I do think it's a PR team, but whoever it is, they're doing a cracking job. If it's him, fair enough because it's brilliant. But I think we're all to wrap up the podcast. We're nearing the forty minute mark. We don't really, really want to take it any further than that. Anyways, the big game on Saturday. They're all big games at this point. It's Newcastle. It's always big. Wolves away. Dan's going to match, unfortunately or fortunately. So I'm going to go to him first eh, with his score prediction. Um, Wolves for Newcastle. We all know it's going to be one-one. One way or the other, it's going to finish one-one. <laughs> it always does. I've been there twice. Both one-one. Same again, I reckon. Go on then, Alex. I completely agree. I, I think one-one is. It, it would be a fair result, and um, like if you offered me it now, I would. I would take it. Yeah, Dan, do you feel the same? Would you take a point on Saturday? Nah, I de- I wouldn't personally. No, I, wouldn't. I think I think the Wolves have been pretty ordinary. Mm-hmm. I think look, I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad result because Wolves have got good players, but I wouldn't take it, especially when that'd be winless in seven. That'd be going in two different international breaks without a win. It it it's not a good look at all, is it really? It's a difficult one this prediction because I'm sort of leaning towards Wolves winning. And that's mm. for the reason is the pretty solid defensively. We'll not be able to take our chances without Wilson. Yeah. And we're pretty susceptible to any form of attack. But another part of me feels that we're absolutely due a win. Bruce is a bit like Alan Pardew in terms of he just somehow manages to wangle himself a result when he's in some form of trouble. Uh, but I feel I need to remain positive on this podcast. I'm sure I've predicted us to win nearly every game except the Man United <laughs> one. So I'm going to go for us to win once again, uh, I'm going to go with 2-1 Newcastle. Almiron's going to have a big game. I think he's going to get a brace. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to remain positive. But 
I think we've, we've got to in these times. So it's been a really, really interesting podcast. It's been a really interesting day, really. Thanks to the lads for coming on. Great to have the trio and Alex back on once again. We'll be back next week reviewing uh, this Wolves game, hopefully after three points. But this has been Time Warp, brought to you by Vavil UK. Make sure you do check out our website for our comprehensive coverage of Newcastle United, the Premier League, the EFL, and of course the Champions League. From us three lads, thank you very much for listening and we will catch you all next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.